0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. One thing that a priest is empowered to do by our Lord Jesus Christ is to pronounce a blessing. This happens, in fact, at the end of every Mass. And when we read in Scripture that something is blessed, I suspect this is what we tend to think of. When something is blessed, that's because God pronounces his favor upon a person, a thing, or a state of affairs, either directly or through an authorized individual. This sort of blessing has deep roots in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, where God blesses his creation— God blesses Adam and Eve, and God promises that all nations will be blessed through the seed of Abraham. This kind of blessing is covenantal. It's a promise from on high that effectively makes blessed whatever God declares to be blessed. But this is not the sort of blessing that Jesus is speaking of in today's celebrated passage from the Gospel of Matthew. Here I'm following R.T. France, whose commentary on Matthew I recommend, and Jonathan Pennington, who's written an entire book on the Sermon on the Mount. What these experts point out is that both Greek and Hebrew have two words that get translated into English as one word, blessed. In Hebrew, to be blessed in the sense that I have described is to be Baruch. But there's another word in Hebrew for blessed. That word is Asrei. These two notions are, of course, related, but they are distinct. When God says all nations will be blessed through Abraham and his seed, that's Baruch. So where do we find the language of Asrei? Here's a good example. It's at the very beginning of the Psalms. In fact, it's the first word in the Psalter. Psalm 1, verse 1, we read, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Now, that's not Baruch blessed. That's Asre blessed. So what's the difference? Why does it matter? To be osre-blessed is to be living the full and flourishing human life. To be blessed, in this sense, is to be living well. This kind of blessing is not an act of bestowal by God of divine favor upon a person or some state of affairs. This kind of blessing is not a promise from on high, but rather an appraisal made by a wise person of what in fact is the good life for human beings. We find this language not in the covenantal milieu of the Pentateuch, but rather in the wisdom literature. Wisdom literature in the Bible has much in common with the deep aspirations of all people everywhere to know what is the best way for us to live. It's the same question that philosophers and sages of every time and place have asked and tried to answer in their various ways. The Bible has its own version of this answer. The wisdom literature, chiefly the Psalms and the Proverbs, that's the place to go looking for it. The best life is the life that is asre-blessed, the one that is full and flourishing. So Psalm 1, verse 1, is not saying that God actively blesses, Or places his divine favor upon the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, though of course he might. What it's saying is that the best way to live, the good life, is the life that avoids wickedness. The thing about being blessed in this way is that it's the way you should want to live. You're supposed to be enticed by this wisdom. You're supposed to be able to say that, yes, right, that is what I want, because the flourishing life is the one that we all want to live. It's not a hard sell. Or at least, it's not supposed to be. Because the Bible actually contains another vision of the good love that's not in the wisdom literature, it's actually right here. In Matthew. Chapter 5. In Greek, Baruch blessing is normally translated by the word eulogitos, a word that the New Testament uses only in connection with God. And asrei is consistently translated by the Greek word makarios. It's this word, in the plural form, that is used again and again and again by our Lord In today's reading, we call those the Beatitudes. That's a fine name, but now that's Latin, so I'm adding to the confusion, right? (laughs) Three ancient languages. Seems like the maximum for any given sermon. But the point I want to make is that each of these solemn and shattering pronouncements that our Lord gives to us in Matthew chapter 5 amounts to not a presentation of a list of qualities that he's asserting God has placed his divine favor upon. What Jesus is doing here is teaching us about what just is the best life for us to lead, the flourishing life, the happy life. And in this respect, Jesus is acting no differently from the great philosophers and sages of the ancient world. He's teaching his followers. Matthew tells us in verse 1 that he sat down on the mountainside, which is the traditional posture for a teacher to take. And in verse 2, he says straightforwardly, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, this is Jesus teaching, teaching his disciples. Teaching the crowds that he sees at the beginning of the chapter, teaching us. Teaching us his answer to the classic question that fired all ancient philosophy, all sages, all great masters of every wisdom tradition. What is the happy life? This is his answer. The broken in spirit. Are happy. Those who mourn are happy. The meek are happy. Anyone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness is happy. The merciful are happy. The pure in heart are happy. Peacemakers are happy. Those who are persecuted because of righteousness are happy. When you are reviled and rejected and people say false things about you because of me, then you are happy. In form, what Jesus is doing here would have been totally familiar and recognizable. He's teaching, just like a rabbi would teach, just like a philosopher would teach. He's teaching about what it means to be makarios, blessed, to be living, the ideal human life. But in content, what Jesus is doing here is utterly shocking and bizarre. He is teaching us that the good life, the life we should want to lead, the life that is full and flourishing, is one that no ancient philosopher would recognize. This is Jesus making his contribution to the tradition of wisdom. But as St. Paul reminds us in the epistle reading from today, this is not the wisdom of the world. This is the wisdom of God. And St. Paul says Jesus is himself the wisdom of God. This wisdom is nothing like the world's wisdom. This wisdom is a total overturning of what we will be led to expect. Realizing this, I think, helps us avoid some possible extremes here. Jesus offers us wisdom that is presented as being responsive to who we are as human beings and the best kind of life for us to live. This part is not a hard sell. Jesus is invested in the project of human flourishing. He's trying to show us What just is the best life for us? And that means that Jesus is not indifferent to the question of what the best life for human beings to live really is. We are supposed to be able to say to ourselves, yes, that sounds great, I want to live that way. And because of this, I think we can avoid a certain kind of hyperbolic reading of the Sermon on the Mount. On this extreme interpretation, we insist that Jesus is making ruthless, relentless, even inhuman demands upon us. On one extreme interpretation, if someone tries to murder my wife and son, I should let them, right, turn the other cheek. But that can't be quite right if Jesus cares about us being able to live a happy and flourishing life the most shocking elements of the Sermon on the Mount have to be read alongside this manifest investment in and commitment to the prospect of human flourishing. At the same time, and here's another extreme, the teaching of Jesus is not a form of shallow self-help. While he is interested in the best life for us, that life is not one of success, prosperity, and pampering. The flourishing life is what it is because of the kingdom of heaven, which you might have noticed is invoked by our Lord at the beginning and end of the Beatitudes. And this may help us understand Why the happy life for us seems to be so full of things that are unhappy. If we think of these blessings as being Baruch-style blessings, then we will make the self-help mistake. We will think that Jesus is saying something like, if you can just be broken in spirit and be mournful and be meek and merciful and peaceful and totally seek out lots of opportunities to be persecuted, why then, God will actively bless you. But this is not what he's saying. Instead, Jesus is saying that there is a reason. There is a reason and reality why this is the best way for us to live. That reason is the kingdom of heaven, which has been the great theme of Jesus' teaching from the very first words that he speaks in Matthew's gospel. The wisdom of God is not like any worldly wisdom, because the kingdom of heaven is not like any earthly kingdom. In the kingdom of heaven, those who mourn are comforted. In the kingdom of heaven, the meek are not dispossessed, but inherit. In the kingdom of heaven, hunger and thirst for righteousness is satisfied. In the kingdom of heaven, those who show mercy are shown mercy. Mercy. In the kingdom of heaven, God reveals himself to those who are pure in heart. In the kingdom of heaven, God makes peacemakers his own offspring. So how do we avoid falling into these extreme mistakes? Here's the trick, I think. Shocking as this may be. The life that God wants us to live, the life that he has pronounced his blessing upon, and the life that is genuinely best and blessed for us to live are ultimately the same thing. What God wants for me and what I should want are the same. Life in the kingdom of heaven just is what is best for us. Kingdom life just is the best kind of life for us to lead. But you won't find that in any self-help manual. Because no self-help manual will tell you the truth, like Jesus will which is that the flourishing life may very well involve suffering. I do not say that suffering is necessary for a flourishing life, much less do I say that we should seek out suffering. But suffering for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven, Suffering for Jesus Christ does not make living the best human life impossible for us. The best life is still possible. So when we are reviled and persecuted and slandered by falsehood for his sake, There really is only one thing left for us to do. Rejoice and be glad. Amen.